This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and I'm in Melbourne. And I'm Kirsten Diprose and I'm sitting in Warrnambool. And Kirsten, today we're looking at who are our future farmers. And when we look at the high prices of land, soaring land prices, are farms actually out of reach for most people? And without succession, who on earth can get a farm at the moment? It's a really hot topic because, as you said, land prices in Victoria and Tassie have really, in particular, soared. In Western Victoria, so where I live in particular, we're seeing uh, land values double or even triple in the last five years. So it's crazy times. It's good news if you own a farm, but how do you get started? If you're a young person wanting to get a foot in and it's your dream to own a farm, how do you become a farmer? How common is it for someone to think, I want to become a farmer? Is it generally succession? You know, does it have to be generational? I'm not saying that it has to be, but is it that generally how it plays out, that you are a fourth, fifth generational farmer or that you have to have it in your blood somehow that very few people decide, well, you know what, this is what I want to do for a living? I think it's about exposure. You know, if you've grown up on the land and you've seen it and you see the wonderful life that it brings, then you want to continue it often. Not always. So I think that city kids don't get exposed to it um, as much. But when they do, um, you know, the the opportunities might not be there for them. Or often it's people who live in regional and rural areas who are aspiring to own their own piece of land one day and perhaps they've grown up around farming or their parents worked on farms or in the broader agriculture industry and they want a piece of that for themselves. But getting the equity mm. uh, is really tricky. You know, we know how hard it is just to get a deposit for a house. Uh, owning a farm and, or you know, having um, it large enough, you need, you know, uh, it, it's about scale and economies of scale if you are wanting to do it as a career. And that can be really tricky uh, for many people. And I wonder too then there's that bigger question around do you need to own the land in order to be classified a farmer and that's something that we might get into today. So if people are thinking well how do I acquire a farm? How do I go about it? I wonder whether or not the new federal government, the federal government has said if they are re-elected that they will act as a guarantor for 40% of a commercial loan capped at a million dollars. So whether or not that's going to buy you a lot of farmland land or not, who knows. It's called the Future Farmers Guarantee Scheme. Now, this is David Littleproud talking about it, the Agricultural Minister. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a situation in Australian agriculture where uh, the average age is about 62. And in fact, there's uh, less than 10% uh, of farmers that are under 47. So we need to shift the dial to make sure there's a sustainable agricultural sector. And it's not just predicated on corporate Australia. It's pr- predicated on the family farm. So two questions there that we might get into today, Kirsten Diprose, which is looking at is the average age, 62, you know, are young people, farmers, are they wanting to become farmers? And will a guarantor will of 40% of a loan capped at a million bucks, is that enough money to buy a farm? What I think David Littleproud's really talking about there is, is equity. So he's talking about family farms and trying to help people that need equity to buy a farm. So it, you've still got the cash flow problem on one side and this is 
looking at equity and it depends on how a succession is structured. So if you're trying to buy out your parents over time at a fair rate, you know, you can't expect your parents to retire on nothing. If that's how the succession is going to play out, then, you know, perhaps you need access to greater equity. And it was interesting when this was announced, I was just looking on Twitter for the responses and a lot of farmers were sort of saying, okay, this is great that it's being spoken about and being looked at mm. by, uh, you know, in terms of legislation. But a million dollars, it's not a lot. It's not going to get you a lot. So how do you get a farm then? Is succession the only way? And are you considering becoming a farmer? But does it feel out of reach? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. With Rochelle Hunt in Melbourne, Kirsten Diprose is with you in our Warnable studios as well. I guess another way, Kirsten, which we'll get into, is looking at marrying into a farm. (laughs) I know. I thought I should put my hand up and say there is another way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term hectare hunter or acre chaser. No. Rochelle. This this is terrible. This is a horribly sexist term that I'm just raising here. Um, But it's uh, something that they use in in the country to describe a woman who is after a farmer, that they are a hectare hunter or an acre chaser. Yes. I only heard this term after I married a farmer, being a city girl. I didn't know of the concept. So... Please do not accuse me of such a thing. There's texts already coming in. A million dollars will get you around 66 hectares around Ballarat. That's not big enough to make a farm. There are, of course, alternative ways of eventually getting a farm. And that's what I really want to emphasise here, that there is hope. And Sam Marwood is the co-founder and CEO of an organisation called Cultivate Farms, which is really looking at partnerships to make farms and young farmers, you know, realise their dream. Welcome to the program, Sam. Thanks, Kirsten Rochelle. Thanks for having me. Sam, tell us about your story first, because you had a dream to own a farm. Tell us where you grew up. Uh, I grew up on a, a dairy farm in central Victoria near a town called Dingy, uh, and I was one of six kids, and I still remember dry, uh, drawing all the trucks and tractors I would have uh, at, at recess at school uh, and thinking I'm going to take the farm on. Uh, you know, that's all I wanted to do was own my farm and, and continue the legacy of my family uh, until one day it was crushed. So what <laughs> happened? If given that you were raised on a farm, I guess one would presume, and maybe this is naive of me to think, well, then that just gets handed to you. That's right. And that was my mentality. I remember at the age of eight, you know, drawing all these pictures and then just walking back from the dairy one day with Dad. And I said, so when do I get the farm? And he said, well, you're not getting it. And Mum and I are going to sell. That's how we're going to retire. And at that point, my ownership and farming dreams were crashed. Uh, I thought, I'm not going to own it and I'm not going to be inheriting. I can't be a farmer. Uh, and that, realise, is the, the mentality for so many across across Australia, that unless you own it and you're going to inherit it, you, you as you've been talking about, you're not going to be a farmer. It's such a powerful story that obviously sat with you for some time. What did you grow up to do and how did you come back to this idea of tackling this problem? It's, it's kind of like this cultural, societal issue that's just kind of sitting there and it's a complex problem. What came, you know, what made you go back to it? Uh, well, well, I grew, um, my mum taught me how to grow trees and plant them on the farm. And so I had this passion for, for nature and, and farming. And so I uh, went and got, uh, went to university, studied environmental science and worked for government for many years. But uh, it was just one day that uh, I caught up with my mate, Tim Hicks, who's the co-founder of Cultivate. And he said, 
the same, he had exactly the same story as me. He grew up on a family farm, didn't get given the farm, and he's off doing landscape gardening. And he said, this is, I think I was about in my early 30s, he said, what if there was a business that helped to buy farms for young people? And I just clicked. I said, yes, yes, where is that business? Uh, and we Googled and talked to as many, hundreds, thousands of people uh, across Australia and the world trying to figure out, well, what is this solution? And we've realised there really isn't uh, a pathway uh, for the next generation, but we're we're crafting them and we're finding it is possible. And and everything we'll talk about today is is how farms were transitioned in the old days before banks got really involved. This this is all centred on on partnerships and relationships and saying to the next generation, if you want to own your farm, well, one, you've got to be good enough. Two, you can show you, you can make money. And three, you've got to partner with somebody. You've got to find a retiring farmer who who wants to age on their farm and who doesn't have kids to, to hand the farm on to or who doesn't want to give the farm to their kids, which is quite common, uh, and prove and, and build a relationship with them around why you are worth wow. for someone to partner with. And, and on the other side, it's investors. There's, there's money everywhere. And, and there's so many case studies of locals backing next-generation farmers to buy a farm. And so we really think the power is in the hands of the next generation. If you can show you're good enough, you're persistent, you can show you can make money on these farms, you will be able to uncover people you can partner with to, to co-own uh, your farm with. There's so much to, there's so many questions I have around that. I mean, to find uh, a retiring farmer that A, doesn't want to give it to his kids, or is it more that maybe some kids don't want to take over the family farm? Are you finding that there is a point where they're saying, no, look, we're worried that the farm will end with my son generally? Uh, I don't know whether how many farms now are being handed on to women, to the daughters, and whether or not that's something that is an issue as well. But how do you find that perfect retiring farmer that's willing to both mentor and hand this over in some way? It takes time. Um, uh, on, on that question, we have um, you know, kids of, of fa- uh, farmers who have that burden that they, they, they can't even tell their parents they don't want the farm. So there's, you know, the next generation don't necessarily want it, um, but the older generation think about, well, well, I've been handed the farm or I've got this farm, I want to continue a legacy. And it's this massive burden uh, for so many to think through if they don't have that clear pathway from the, to the next generation of their own, in their own family. And um, we, we've realised that this is just about relationships, that as a retiring farmer, we want to give hope to say, well, if you want to age on your farm and you don't really want to go anywhere but still see a legacy of your farm, there are hundreds of next-generation farmers uh, who would give their right arm to have the opportunity to partner with them and to say, well, what do you want as a retiring farmer? What do you want for your farm for, for in the next 100 years? What do you want for your community? And, and then let's think about who the, the farmers are that you want to partner with and that you would share, you know, maybe it's a share farm deal, maybe it's the ability to buy into the land over time. But find that right person. It's like, it's like dating, I guess, um, <laughs> trying to find that right person you're willing to, to share with. Yeah, I think you describe yourself as a social enterprise matchmaking service. So I like that <laughs> analogy. Uh, Sam, please stay with us. We want to take some, some calls and, and your expertise might actually help us if, if people have some questions here. David is in Yay. Hi, David. Uh, Good day. What did you want to say? Um, I just wanted to say that I've been involved in agriculture uh, all my life. I uh, grew up on a farm and and the property was sold. Um so I've managed properties for the last um, 30 odd years for, for other people and always been trying to save enough to be able to you know, get the deposit to then uh, go on and buy my own property. Um, but the way that, uh, that I've gained some ground is through leasing, but 
uh, leasing other people's properties, but the biggest problem with leasing is it's got such a horrible reputation in Australia where they're all very short-term uh, leases and they're not mm. um, a long-term, you know, sort of ideal of improving the property over time. People kind of just want the money and then the other person says, well, if it's only short-term, I can't put anything into it. So it's there needs to be a much better structure to instil some trust and, you know, sort of come together on, you know, what the property needs yeah. to look like in the future to be able to make it work. And so what do you think of the Future Farmers Scheme, the idea of the government being the guarantor of 40% of a commercial loan capped at a million dollars? Does that help you in any way? No, look, it, it's it, like a lot of these things. I think they're great thought bubbles and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And it, it seems like they're doing something, but just, uh, just as you were saying before, it's just far too small. Um, to actually make any impacts, you know, if you could find a, a farm for a million dollars that you could actually make a living off, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be out in the boondock somewhere, you know, 20 hours away from any, you know, major city. So, um, and that's the most, that's land that doesn't have, you know, any potential in it. So, David, has have things gotten harder for younger people who perhaps want to start leasing or, you know, owning some animals is that hard? I mean, obviously, if you're leasing, you're you're paying a, a large sum of money, and as property values go up, I would imagine that gets you know that rent essentially is higher. Is it still possible to to make a profit from you know selling livestock or, or whatever you're using the land for? Yeah, look, it, it is with the with the right structured uh, lease, um, but you are up against either you know sort of large companies or um, you know people in town who who have a property and buy up, you know, five or six farms around the area and put on a manager. So, you know, they're getting massive tax benefits out of uh, owning these farms. They don't need to make a profit. They make more money out of the tax write-offs and the increase in land values than they do actually mm. producing an animal. And um, j- just finally, David, are you hopeful that you'll actually acquire a farm? Uh, look, I am, but only because I managed to uh, purchase a property with a subdivision across it. So that's what I'm currently doing. I'm going out and, you know, risking millions of dollars to sell property to uh, other people to then, you know, fund a, a, a farm purchase to make a living off. Gosh, that's a big passion to, to take that risk. David, thanks so much for your call. Before we go back to Sam, there's a text here that says, Rochelle and Kirsten, we lease the vast majority of land we farm, and that includes leasing from my parents. We don't have to buy the land to farm. We farm relatively close to Melbourne, and land prices have skyrocketed in years with tree changes, so we can buy in our region. But we can lease this from the tree changes. It's a win-win. We get some economies of scale, and they get an income and a well-run farm you have to think outside the square and it says p.s i'm also a female farmer (laughs) lovely to hear from you sam what do you think about this and how does leasing fit into Mm. the kind of thinking out of the square that you are especially with co-ownership whether i mean the relationship you just described before was essentially vendor finance so instead of going to the bank and saying can i have some money when you don't have enough equity you're, you're you're talking about getting a relationship with someone but what about leasing or other forms of share farming? Oh, I think all the options are, are great, depending on what you, you need. Um, our bottom line is we say to next-gen farmers, go work on a farm or prove you're good enough, then invest your own money and you know take risk yourself and get a lease if you can, and leases are hard to do. You know, Build up your own herd, have a go at sharecropping. 
uh, and use that as a way to prove yourself. Uh, to, and at the same time, you're constantly looking for retiring farmers, investors who might go for that longer term or you know, shared ownership arrangement. You know, long-term lease you know, could be all you want for the rest of your life. Uh, as long as you've got that security of tenure, tenure, that's probably the bottom line and how you write that up and ensure that's a win-win for both parties is the, is the biggest thing. So part of this is next-generation farmers, Learn, learn about all the different legal arrangements. Get your head around how you make money off farms. Show how you're going to be profitable and keep taking step after step. Talk to as many people as you can. Have coffee meetings. Tell people at the pub. Continually keep looking for opportunities, but at the same time, become the best farmer and give confidence to anybody that you you run into that might be willing to give you a lease or or hopefully something a bit more long-term. It sounds like communication is really important here, Sam. Like you need to learn how to make these relationships and communicate with people what you're after, what you're willing to do. And that can be really hard for anyone, but particularly when you're younger, even if you get your head around how it all works, you need that confidence and the skills to make those relationships happen. It is the number one thing. And, um, you know, farmers are, are quite uh, reserved and um, you know, aren't very boastful. Uh, and we're not encouraging people to you know, be out there and be really cocky about this, but it is the bottom line. You've got to be able to, one, have confidence in yourself, and then two, have this mindset that I need to partner with people. And how do I partner with people is by letting them know of what I'm after. If people don't know what you're after or what you're looking for and can see that you're very clever and, and having a go, then opportunities won't pop up. They're not just going to come out of nowhere. Uh, for you so communication is so key and that's mm. probably a lot of what we do at cultivate farms is get behind these next generation farmers and just talk through their situation and say you you actually are really good you are awesome and somebody would definitely want to back you all right have you got a plan where's your financial model have you got a tiger team around you with advisors uh, have you started a small lease? You know, what are you doing to prove yourself? And then just practice at the dinner parties that you go to, at your family functions. Just talk it out and get better at it. It's not that you have to be the best salesman and person in the world. It's, you just need to be able to have the confidence in yourself, wow. know where you're going. And you know, after 100, 200 times, someone's going to say to you, Someone will eventually say you know yes. What? I've got something. I've got something. And don't put the no in other people's mouths. It's a big saying that we have when we catch up with our farmers. It's... Yeah, you'll say no one's done a vendor finance deal in our district. Well, how many people have asked? You know, how many how many people have you met that you've built a relationship with over five years? I love that you're getting people to uh, to practice it over the dinner table. And look, if you're happy for us to pass some numbers on, Sam, there's texts already coming in saying, you know, I'm a retiring farmer. I'm really interested in this conversation. Can I have a contact for Sam? So in terms of finding those retiring farmers, they are out there because texts are coming in. Sam Marwood, the co-founder and CEO of Cultivate Farms. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy to chat. I love, Kirsten, the conversation around, too, you know, what defines a farmer. I know Angus Verley and I spoke a little while ago around the stereotypes around farmers. But in terms of, you know, do you need to own that land? Does it need to be generational? And the idea that you can partner up with someone, that you can lease land, there's even texts here saying, what about hobby farms? I'd love to hear about young people who'd like to buy hobby farms. It seems impossible for a bank to loan us in regional areas. And then people talking about smaller scale farming and modern ideas of farming that maybe needs less land as well. So it's a huge conversation. Yeah, and it's a conversation you've probably heard me talk about 
about in terms of gender and I always say that you're you know I'm a I'm a farmer I don't do a lot of the hands-on stuff but I do the bookwork and that's a very important role in the business and you know maybe I should call myself the chief operating officer but I think a farmer will do and I think so long as you're involved in the act of farming it doesn't really matter whether you own it or you don't if you are farming you're managing it or you're working on it I think you're a farmer I mean I think it's really different the the terms that are used in Victoria compared with New South Wales Um, in New South Wales if you're on the land you're called like a a grazier and that's for a landholder Um, but in Victoria we don't really use that term we just say farmer for everyone and I like that I don't know that's just (laughs) yeah I think it's because you know eureka happened here or something I don't know that's why Jake Seren is a dairy farmer who manages a leased farm in Lang Lang, which is in a beautiful part of Gippsland. Jake, I guess first things first, how did you feel about the potential proposal from the government, if re-elected, that they would play guarantor of 40% of around a million bucks of a commercial loan? Does this help you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, uh, it's a great great thing that the government's doing. Um, yeah, ideally, I'd like more, but um, it's a good start anyway. And what's your setup, Jake? Are you looking to um, buy into a family farm or, or set up your own um, enterprise? Uh, it's just, yeah, set up our own enterprise. So me and my old man are currently leasing the farm together where we are now. Um, and, yeah, we're working towards yeah, achieving farm ownership within the next five years. Great. And so you've got a plan, obviously. Like, can you tell us what, what the plan is and how you go about setting up a plan? Yep, yep. So, yeah, I did my Diploma of Agriculture um, with TAFE Gippsland and, yeah, they helped me set up a business plan that I've, yeah, set up for the next five years of, yeah, yeah like worst-case scenario, what our profitability would be and then, yeah, best-case scenario, what our profitability mm-hmm. would be and how much we're going to put towards, like, savings to get the deposit that's required for a farm. And given that the land prices are soaring at the moment, I would think that that plan and that that business plan that you're putting together is changing all the time. But we heard earlier from the Agricultural Minister, David Littleprout, saying that the average age of a farmer is, you know, 62 years of age and that we need younger people coming through. Just anecdotally, Jake, you know, with other people and families that you mix with, do you think, is there a concern that most farmers are getting to retirement age and that young people like yourself aren't putting their hand up? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, very noticeable. Actually, yeah, there's um, yeah, well, well, old farmers really. To be honest with you, that's um, yeah, there's not many young people getting in the industry, uh, which is yes, pretty sad. But it's hard to encourage people to get into it there too. Um, so. Jake, there are a lot of people doing ag degrees and diplomas though, like at TAFEs and at other um, institutions. What happens to them? Where do they go? Uh, I think they work, yeah, like with nutritionists and that sort of thing and do agronomy at, like, yeah, seed places. I, I don't really know. Yeah, um, they're just not going into uh, farm ownership or, or no. trying to get into that direction. You think they're looking elsewhere within the agriculture industry? That's, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah. Good on you, Jake. Great to speak with you. Wish you all the best. No worries. You too. Thanks, mate. Jake Saran is a dairy farmer who manages lease land with his dad in Lang Lang in Gippsland. Jamie responding on text saying, how many real farmers are just too busy to go to dinner parties? About also too, but I did like the idea. <laughs> who actually does go to dinner parties now? But I like the idea of 
workshopping it in front of people as much as you can. I don't know how many of us actually do that. It's sort of like reading out your project to friends and family and they go, oh, God, okay, here we go. Rochelle, I uh, got a husband uh, a text from my husband who said, see, Kirsten, that's why I'm always going to the pub. I'm networking <laughs> and the beers are tax deductible. <laughs> <laughs> and this, uh, I'm 20, I love that your husband texts you mid-show too. It's just a little bit of insight. I'm 28 years old, Lisa, 100% of my farming um, land. It's a mixed cropping and sheep operation on a three to five year lease. One of the biggest battles I'm finding now being closer to Geelong is the challenge of competing for lease country against blokes earning $150,000 a year in town with one-off farm income and farming more so as a hobby. So I guess that is looking at, you know, hobby farming and I mean, I sort of don't even really, if I'm honest, don't really even understand. I mean, I know a basic hobby farm and what that might look like, but, you know, how big can a hobby farm get? Are we talking, you know, just someone that maybe runs some chickens and sells eggs at a farm gate? Or are we talking about someone that says, I think I want to, you know, run some alpacas on my land? How bigger hobby farms i mean i have no idea yeah look i we don't have a hobby farm so it's hard for me to really comment on that but uh, you know people have it because they it it could be because you love it and you love that lifestyle um there could be some tax benefits in it um but yeah I, i don't know if this scheme is really about that i think it's about trying to shore up family farms mm. um that i think that's what what the target is um you know but whether it's successful or not you know yeah. it's and it's you know i just want to say it's really interesting that this discussion's happening right now if anyone caught landline on sunday um there was a great story about soldier settlement properties and i just kind of thought historically it's really interesting how we have constantly kind of dealt with this issue of who is a landowner who how do we get people into land ownership and it was done after the first and second world wars to ver- with varying degrees of success generally it didn't work out um, of these soldier settlement communities. And I actually live in a former soldier settlement wow. community that did work out for the most part. Um, but, you know, we, we keep coming back to this issue every generation of how do we get the next younger generation in? Let's have a chat to Ben. He's in Ocean Grove. G'day, Ben. Oh, g'day. How are you going? Good. What do you want to say? Oh, I just wanted to share a story. We uh, started a farm um, just on a ballerine peninsula a farmer shared has shared land with a small community of people that just wanted to grow food essentially not to sell to market but um more just for uh crops that you couldn't so much grow at home there's a real push for growing your own food locally down our way and i think maybe that across Victoria and Australia, I think people want to know where their food's coming mm. from and a lot of our food isn't grown locally. Um, so the farmers basically uh, give, gifted us um, a little patch of land, um, did all the fencing for us, irrigation. They're involved as, as well. Um, and there's seven families that basically we go out and do a couple of working bees and we've grown so much food Um and the kids are also involved. So there's about 10 kids um, who are learning about food, learning about growing their own food and picking it. Um, you know, we had a working bee on the weekend and picked 50 pumpkins, a dozen you know, watermelons. And so is this sort of like a form of community farming? Is that what you're talking about, Ben? Well, I think it goes to the discussion about, you know, what is a farm? And 
you know, we, a lot of people want to be connected to the food they grow and might not have the skills to do so. But I think land is, the space is not the issue because you can grow a lot of stuff in small spaces. I just think it's such an access, um, you know, financially to get it. But I think we need to look outside the square a bit about how we can do this. And that's what we've been involved in is really uh, quite unique, I think, that it's, A, it's worked, but I think the pandemic might have had something to do with that where it's like, well, let's just roll the dice and see Mm. what happens. And um, I think that creative thinking is something that we're hearing more and more. I love, Ben, that you just approached, you know, a local farmer for a pocket of land and they agreed and even to the point where they put up that fencing as well. And it sounds like the community of Ocean Grove is, is really benefiting from that. So maybe that's just one way that you acquire a farm and get a farm. Is succession the only way? And do you think that the proposal of the guarantor from the government, if re-elected, of 40% of a million dollars will help? Yeah. It's uh, interesting times and I'd love to bring Marion McDonald into the conversation now. She is a Gippsland farmer and also the National Rural Reporter, uh, rural Property Writer for ACM, Australian Community Media, which is a uh, publisher of the Stock and Land and quite a few other publications around the country. Hi, Marion. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. You've been writing about land prices probably, you know, at least once a week for the past what year or two tell us you know (laughs) what's going on here well look property stories are amongst the most popular amongst our readership and it's not hard to see why because everybody wants to have a look at how much their place is worth now and how that's changed since last year when we look at soaring prices is it put people putting people off buying and selling and, you know, whether or not succession is the right way about that. How is it affecting what people do, especially as they're coming into retirement age? Well, look, that's a fascinating question. I was having a look at a report put together by elders using some core logic data, the same people that collect the residential figures. And they were saying that in Victoria, there'd been a 14.4% drop in supply. And at the same time, demand is sky high. So it's a bit of a perfect storm. We've got a fabulous season. We've got record commodity prices. We've got record low interest rates. You put it all together and people are looking to grow their businesses. And if they were thinking of retiring, some of them are putting off retiring. So you've got more people wanting to buy and fewer people wanting to sell and that all pushes up prices. It's a great story if you're already in farming, isn't it? I mean, it's giving people buying power that they perhaps never had before. What does it mean for the next generation and how does it affect perhaps succession discussions as well as, you know, people who are trying to get in, you know, and and create their own enterprise? Yeah, we've hit the nail on the head. It's really, really tough if you don't have family backing. I was chatting with a young fellow, 27-year-old Brad from the Wimmera, and he's desperately trying to buy his first place. He's put offers on eight properties in the last 18 months and has been beaten to the punch by established family farmers every single time. But to raise a deposit alone, he's been shearing, he's been contract harvesting, He's trading lambs and he's cropping. 
you know, he's amassed more than the million dollars, I'm sure, that the government is talking about and still struggling to get hold of land. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible because there are people that are able to buy in. Um, the traditional pathway is to start off with leasing and build a war chest of stock or and trade enough grain to be able to raise a deposit. The dairy industry does a fantastic job with share farming where you've got a landholder who might, say, want to retire and a young farmer who wants to build up cow numbers and eventually get a deposit um, mm. and become landowners. It's interesting too, Marion, when you say, you know, it can be done. And today we're hearing all of these different ideas, which just shows you the passion, first and foremost, in that people that want to do this, you know, through hell or high water, they will find a way. Wendy Zentura, Wendy, I mean, this was something where you found a way as well. So what did you do? How did you, I guess, realise your dream? Yeah, hi, guys. Um, yeah, I just worked my way up from the bottom. always really loved farming. Um, my parents had a beef and sheep farm, but I got involved with dairy when I left high school. Um, I found a really great farm to work on with supportive owners and just started sort of working and then gradually decided farm ownership was something I wanted to work towards. So how did you, you, you get there? Uh, it's taken 20 years, so it's a little process. Um, just started by relief milking and full-time position, doing lots of overtime, just learning a lot of owners, even like working some hours for free, just staying back late, putting in extra effort. Um, gradually got into share farming, did that. So that's where you owned years. the cows? Was that, That's where you built up your, your cows? Your dairy yeah, cows? started off on a really low share, just myself, no no cattle ownership. And then after a couple of years, purchased half the herd because that was a big enough debt yep. to try and get the bank to lend me. Um, paid them off in a couple of years, just knuckling down and not wasting money on anything. And then bought the other half, increased my share, and then worked towards paying them off. And then started talking about... Wow. Um, buying the farm of owners who are looking to retire. So, Wendy, when you say this has taken you 20 years, how old were you when you started out on this? Well, when I left high school, so like 18, 19, finished year 12. I did a farm apprenticeship um, with Gippsland Tape and like learnt and went and did courses and learned about dairy, networked like the other people said, go to discussion groups events, anything you can go to, meet the bankers, all that sort of stuff's important. Gosh, it's such Other a life commitment. Any time throughout that 20 years, Wendy, where you've thought, why am I doing this? Oh, definitely. Had a few <laughs> setbacks, had some health setbacks, and suffered a stroke. I was in hospital, oh. had to learn to walk again. But yeah, never gave up. It's always something oh I wanted to do. Well done, Wendy. Do, do you think the same opportunity is there for young people today who are just out of school and want the same thing? I think so. I know you like quite a few people that are young that have bought farms that weren't their parents. Like they've had to work really hard. They've worked other jobs. I know people have gone fly in, fly out for a few years to get money for a deposit. There's lots of different ways into the industry. 
not necessarily just working at home in your family farm. You've got to is think the, outside the square. Is the dairy industry a little bit better for that, do you think, than other farming industries? Like there's quite a bit of support and that share farming structure is already in, it's sort of built in dairy. Yeah, it does sort of have a bit more of a pathway, but we've had a lot of ups and downs. We've had the claw back in 2016, which set a lot of people backwards. A lot of people exited the industry. Yeah. It's definitely with ups and downs for all industries. Oh, Wendy, it's such a... I mean, that's three lifetimes in one there in that 20 years. Thank you so much for your story. Mary McDonald is with you as well. She's a Gippsland farmer and a National Rural Property Writer for ACM and also one of the publishers of Stock and Land. How common is Wendy's story, Marion? You know, this, I mean, from call after call, text after text, the work and dedication and love that goes into this, it, I don't, I mean, I thought I understood it, but I don't think I really did. No, well, I know Wendy. I've been on a course or two with her. There you go. And she's not your average bear. She's a remarkable <laughs> woman. And her farm is an absolute showpiece. She's a very clever and very determined farmer who commands an awful lot of respect from the farming community in South Gippsland. She's done it incredibly tough, but she's also done it incredibly smart. Um, getting a leg up into first farm ownership is is unbelievably tough. And it's so tough that plenty of farmers are now starting to think about buying farms for even primary school aged children just because of the FOMO factor. You know, we used to think about this in agriculture, but, you know, the numbers are just so startling. In 2021, Victorian agricultural land went up a whopping 28.4%. Now, over the last five years, it's gone up 10.9%. And if you look at how often that means it doubles in value, that means it's doubling in value every six and a half years. The old rule of thumb was once every 10 years. So people um, like that Wimmera farmer I was telling you about are racing to build equity at the same time as property prices are racing forwards as well. So it's not just enough to say, oh, I'll eventually, you know, build a deposit. You've got to try to make that deposit bigger and bigger and bigger just to keep up with the soaring land prices. So it's tricky. And at some point, let's face it, these land values have to plateau. They can't keep increasing at this rate. Yeah, that was my next question, Marion. What's going to happen when the land prices do come back a little bit? Are we going to see some farmers hurting? It's a real possibility. And I've canvassed that with um, a range of different experts and they are all watching it. You know, the banks are fairly cautious at the moment, especially after that Royal Commission. And so they're trying to be very prudent about who they lend to and they're asking for large um, equity buffers. But even if you've got a massive equity buffer, a bank manager reminded me that you still need to be able to pay the mortgage. And we've seen a bit of a decoupling of productivity and land price. So you need to make sure that you're being super, super careful because, you know, when I took on um, a mortgage for our land about 
oh, 12 years ago now, I was really happy that my interest rate started with an eight rather than a nine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not it's not that long ago that we had interest rates that were at least double what they are today and people need to be able to stress test their mortgages. Marion McDonald, thanks so much for your insights today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, Kirsten. There's this text here, Kirsten, that says, we're a young family who got into owning our own farm after a number of smaller investments as stepping stones to where we are now. But we're struggling to find reliable staff. The hours are long and the stress is pretty constant. We're wanting to spread the load and would love nothing more than to find another passionate young family to join our journey in equity partnership. There is the commitment financially and the security of ongoing labour in the form of a partnership. There is a way to own farms. We just need to be creative, passionate and make it work. The word creative just keeps coming back here, doesn't it? And that passion is obvious today. Yeah. And, you know, there are, it's all about conceptualising things differently. Um, and there are even sort of startups, you know, in Silicon Valley that are helping city buyers invest in, in farm plots or, or getting groups together so you can own a share of a farm. Um, and, and they're looking at running it differently and thinking about it differently. But if you really want that traditional your own farm, you know, that's not the solution that, that really fits. Mm. You know, I love those suggestions and I love community ownership and we should have all of the, the options on the table. But if you want to have a farm for your family, how do you get one? Simon's in Beechworth. Hey, Simon. Oh, hi, how are you? Good. What did you want to say? Could, look, very simply, look, it's very, very difficult now for anyone who hasn't inherited or have lots of money to buy farmland. As the previous callers mentioned, the price of farm because of COVID farmland has just gone crazy. But one of the other problems we're facing, we're taking over our next door neighbour's farm, is I was gobsmacked with the amount of stamp duty the Victorian government charged now on farming land. So we're paying 5.5% in stamp duty on, on top of now the inflated prices for land. And, and for farming where, you know, that represents probably a year's profit off that farm just to pay stamp duty back makes it even more difficult for people to get into the agricultural industry. Did, did it potentially put you off, Simon? Was it something that made you think twice? No, we're lucky. We've got money. We can we can pay it. We don't like paying it. But I sympathise with younger people trying yeah. to get in. It it would be near impossible unless you inherit it. Yeah, and that's, I guess, what we're talking about today, isn't it, Kirsten, is how do you get a farm, you know, if it's not inherited, if it's not succession, when we're looking at land prices and if the government's wanting younger people to come through, how possible is that? And even if you are in a position where you can inherit uh, a farm or or a stake in a farm, there are still many conversations to work out to make sure it's a viable farm. You know, we spoke to Sam at the start who was one of six. So splitting their dairy operation among six people was not going to keep a dairy together. And it was their parents' retirement plan anyway. But 
you know, these are really interesting conversations and, and kind of talk to succession um, a bit more, which I think is worth having a conversation. And Rochelle, you mentioned earlier about whether women are, mm. you know, inheriting farms. And the latest data is, is fairly old. It's 2007 uh, study that looked at this and it found that only 10% of women are inheriting farms. Now, they're generally, they're, they're being compensated in other ways. So it's not like they're not getting anything, but it's usually the son who inherits. And in the case of the women, it's usually happens when there isn't a male uh, to inherit. And that's that's 2007. There is a case that's being done. Uh, I know D- Dr. Lucy Newscombe is working on mm-hmm. that at U- UNE. And she told me recently that um, it, it looks like things are improving, that women are inheriting the farm a little bit more. But it'll be really interesting to find out, you know, how much those figures have changed. Hopefully they've changed, um, you know, since 2007. But Melissa McDonald is a dairy farmer at Bessie Bell, who is someone who has inherited a farm. She's in southwest Victoria. She also is a trainer at RIST, the Rural Industries Skills Training. Welcome to the program, Melissa. Thanks very much for having me. Now, it wasn't an easy succession, not a difficult one, but it wasn't, <laughs> you know, just just gifted to you, here you go, start farming, was it? Tell us your story. No. Oh, I don't think any succession is uh, an easy one, no matter who you are. And to be honest, it's still ongoing. We haven't finished that as yet um we're an unusual situation where i haven't been actually gifted any of our farmland we are buying it as a business decision but my parents have been very good in what the land price is that we are buying Putting on your training hat here for RIST Mm. as well, and some of the callers that have rung through, I I think pretty much all of them today have spoken about the planning that goes into this, you know, the work that needs to be done, the study that needs to be done, you know, the rehearsals around dinner tables that need to be done in order to get this across the line. Is that underestimated by a lot of people, do you think, or is it a given? Oh, no, I think it's severely underestimated. Uh, I'm actually just training my diploma students in budgets at the moment. And one of the discussions we just had this week was how much effort you have to put into budgets and knowing your numbers before you can ever think about moving into farm ownership. We were lucky enough to have a rural lender come and talk to us about what banks are expecting people to have in order and I think some of the students are a little bit blown away with how much they need to know. Yeah it can be complicated. Are your students interested in vendor finance you know those those partnerships that we were talking about earlier in the program with partnering with a retiring farmer are they aware of that as a possible pathway? I think they they possibly aren't aware of that, but there's certainly some of them have looked into when they're looking when they're working for uh, an employer that they're not related to. The possibility of moving into that sort of vendor finance world has appealed to them, but just knowing what they need to have in a background or uh, finding a guarantor for them is quite a daunting task. We've heard that some of the stats of women inheriting farm are low, yet we've heard from some incredible women, some self-starters today. When you look at your students, are you seeing what kind of ratio of of gender? Uh, In my Cert 4, I would say it's a 50-50 split. We're we're seeing a really um, great number of both 
male and female uh, students. Once we start moving into our diploma, I find it in the last couple of years, I've had more male students, but I do have some incredibly strong female students as well. So um, where you're definitely seeing a real growth in female leaders within the agricultural industry and people that are willing to really put the time into learning and becoming best practice farmers. We hear about farmers being older, um, you know, and I, th- I think was David Littleproud gave a figure, was it 62, Two, Rochelle? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and look, uh, th- there are obviously other generations that are often involved in farming and perhaps they're not the farm owner. But when you're talking about succession, how important is it to know that you will one day own a farm or be on a pathway to own a farm when you are in your 20s, 30s, 40s or beyond? Oh, absolutely. It is, well, uh, speaking from a personal perspective, uh, we wanted to know that we would have that farm ownership to set ourselves up and to set our own children up uh, before we got to an age where we couldn't do anything else. So if uh, buying this farm, our family farm, wasn't a viable option or the farm itself become became unviable, we needed to know far earlier than retirement age. Yeah. I I mean, people are living till their 80s and 90s, which is great. But if you don't know you're going to inherit a farm until you're 70, that's not ideal, is it? (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly right. And it just means you need to start having those conversations and, and really knowing exactly, making sure everyone is on the same page. Yeah, I, know. I think communication is one of those other words that's been thrown around a lot today as well. Melissa McDonald, thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Dairy farmer at Bessie Bell in southwest Victoria. This text, Kirsten, earlier you were talking about calling yourself a farmer, even though, you know, technically you're maybe not on the land but doing the books. It says, great discussion. I also do the books on our dairy farm. I'm known as the director of finance. So that's Janine. <laughs> so I think you can go with Janine. You just need a snazzier title. Yeah, yeah. I'm COO, Chief Operations Officer. Absolutely. And we were talking before about the soldier settlement farms. This text saying, we've actually we have one it was transferred from our father to son our property is a settlement property and that settlement loan was transferred to my husband when his father passed away and we have continued to pay out that 55 year loan wow i didn't realize that was still going on that's amazing Today, when we've looked at who gets a farm, you know, how do you get a farm? I, this is just anecdotally from the calls and the texts we've had. The passion is there. The want, I think, is there. It's just how financially feasible it is and the commitment that goes into it as well. Yeah. And hearing from people like Wendy, when you realise how hard that first generation has worked, you really do understand why farmers call themselves second or third or fourth generation, because there's a lot that's gone into it. And it's almost a tip of the hat to, you know, the generations before. And Rochelle, I think this is probably another discussion that we need to have in the future, but it shows how difficult it is to say no to a family business if your parents had done it. You know, if your mum's Wendy and you know how hard she's worked, gee, it'd be hard to say no to her to to go and do something else, to join the circus, you know. It'd be hard. Kirsten Diprose, as always, thank you so much. I'll speak to you in a fortnight's time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.